rock operas. As a teenager and a young adult, I loved listening to rock operas. I uh, listened to rock operas by groups like The Who. What I'd do is I'd put the records on, now also known as vinyls, on my stereo, and I'd crank up the music really loud, and I'd listen and I'd learn all the words. And since in those days, headphones were rare, my brother and sister were also forced to learn the words too. So as a young adult, I had turned from going my own way, and I had turned to God. And as a young adult, I asked Jesus Christ into my life that I wanted to follow God. I wanted to be a follower of Jesus. I wanted him to live in my life. And many changes happened to me, many changes. But one thing that did not change is I still liked rock operas. And so I thought, well, let me go see if I can find a Christian rock opera for me to listen to. And I found one. Interestingly, I have forgotten the name of this album. I have forgotten all the songs, but there was one scene and one verse that stuck with me. Uh, It was a rock opera about the last week of Jesus' life. He's on his way to the cross. And in this scene, it's Jesus and his disciples having the Last Supper together. The disciples, as you probably remember, were handpicked, called by Jesus to be with him, the 12 apostles, the 12 disciples. And they were sharing this last meal together. One of those ones who was called to be with Jesus was named Judas. Judas had already made plans to betray Jesus to the religious authorities for 30 pieces of silver. He sat there at the table eating with Jesus. And at that table is the point of decision. Jesus hands Judas the choice piece of bread. Will Judas decide to go through with this? And Judas sings a song. And these are the words that reflect his decision. Speaking to Jesus, bread of life, living water, please excuse me from this table. I am not hungry anymore. And Judas goes out and it's night. Judas turned back from following Jesus. Today we are looking at Peter's warnings to the church of his day. And also, of course, to us, warning about turning back. I have to say it's a little hard coming down from the glory of Christmas, the worship of the Christ, into this, but we need this. As you know, we're in the mega-series about what happens when a created people walk away from their creator. And we are in the section of that mega-series We have looked at 1 Peter, and now we are in 2 Peter. And as you may remember, this look describes people like us who are living in exile in this world, where we're bound for heaven, our heavenly home, which is our real home. 
but how to live in exile here and not fall in to the world and its ways and its condemnation. So we are citizens of God's kingdom. We belong to Jesus Christ and the righteous way of life that he's called us to. That didn't fit well in a pagan society back in the day of First Peter. And it does not fit well today. As you may remember, it was way last year. The setting of Second Peter is that false teachers are smuggling teachings, destructive teachings into the church. People are called to live in obedience to God's word. But these false teachers were creating a culture of recklessness within Christ's church. They're teaching people to sin, to indulge themselves and in all kinds of sensual things. And it seems like some of this was even happening at their worship gatherings. The teachers promise that they can have freedom by doing whatever they want, whatever feels good. But they themselves, the scripture says, are slaves to corruption. So they are especially going after the ones who have just come to know the Lord, who are just escaping from the world, and those who are unstable. These are the most vulnerable, the most vulnerable among God's people. And these teachers are taking them captive. And so Peter is issuing the strongest warning about these teachers and to warn people to stay out of this danger zone. Don't share the fate of these teachers. Don't share it. This is going to lead to, to terrible destruction as they hurl themselves away from God and try to bring others with them. And so we're going to take a look. We're going to pick up in 2 Peter 2, 20 to 22. That's 2 Peter 2, 20 through 22, but we're going to start by reading verse 19. And this is what Peter writes about the false teachers. It says, they promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. And in 2 Peter 2.20, Peter writes, for if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state of them becomes worse than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it, to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. So let's focus in on that first couple verses, 20 and 21. For if after having escaped the defilements of the world... Through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. 
for it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to have turned back from the holy commandment delivered to them. No turning back. No turning back from the way. This section teaches us there's to be no turning back from the way. No turning back from knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Christianity is not about accepting a set of facts or beliefs. It is, it is not even a code of ethics. It is receiving God himself through Jesus Christ by his Holy Spirit into our lives. And it is devotion to Jesus who is the way, the truth, the life. Through Jesus, they had escaped the pollutions, the defilements. And these defilements were a result of their evil actions in their pagan culture. Well, now they got out of them. They knew Jesus. His life was flowing through them, but they turned back from knowing Jesus. One of the saddest verses to me in the New Testament, and we're going to mention it again, is John chapter 6, verse 66, where Jesus delivers a teaching. And it says, after this, it was too hard. (laughs) After this, many of his disciples turned back from following him. I would hear when I was in theological training in seminary about people who were pursuing higher education and pursued it at teaching institutions where uh, somehow they were treating the Word and the Bible more as literature and, and more as this. They were so devoted to Jesus and then all of a sudden Jesus is out of the picture and it just becomes an academic study. No turning back from following Jesus. No turning from this relationship. They turned from Jesus. They turned from Jesus. And with that, they turned from what Peter describes and much of the scripture describes as the way of righteousness. The way of righteousness. No turning back from the way of righteousness. Another way of saying this is no turning back from discipleship. No turning back from being a disciple of Jesus. Peter said it would have been better for these false teachers never had to have known the way of righteousness and having known it, having experienced it, having tasted it, knowing the holy command, they turned back. And that word, turned back, they turned back to a place they had left. They had gone from it. They'd moved to back to a place that they have left. They have returned, it says, to a state of being conquered and controlled. They've turned back. Discipleship is not just learning facts, knowing things, hearing the word and ingesting it, and remembering is important. But understand that that's the fuel for a way of life. Discipleship is a way of life lived out in devotion to Jesus, abandoning him. In fact, this word that says turning away also means abandoning. They abandoned the way instead of abandoning themselves to God and his way. Discipleship is an all-encompassing way of life. It starts 
The moment you say, Jesus, I want you in my life, come in, forgive me of my sins. And it is lived out by learning of him and obeying him, obeying God and his words. The holy commandment delivered to them, it would have been better had they not known the holy commandment delivered to them. What this means, this holy commandment is referring, it's a technical way of referring. This is delivered to the people who first come to know Jesus. This is the initial functional instruction about Jesus, handed down about this way of life. It's delivered from the apostles. It says later in Peter, he captures this, he says in 3.2, remember the commandment of our Lord and Savior through your apostles. This is handed down. This was the initial foundation of their discipleship, of their learning and obeying God. But now where are they? They knew Jesus, they walked away. They were disciples and they walked out of the new way of life that was empowered by him and living by him. They walked away from obedience to that command. Once their lives were marked by his life through righteousness, through righteousness, through Jesus, they had escaped the pollutions, they had escaped the defilement, which had been, as we said, a result of their evil actions in a pagan culture. Having known the Lord, having known true freedom, Having known where faith in Jesus leads, which is the life of righteousness, they turned back. As I said, another way of saying it is they abandoned Jesus and discipleship. They're again entangled. It means they're so involved they can't do anything else. They've been overcome. They're conquered. They're controlled by the sin they had been freed from. And so Peter gives them the strongest Warning, he warns, he tells what will happen to these false teachers. I like to think they still have a chance to repent as Peter pens these words. But one thing is for sure, Peter is writing this to tell the church, no turning back from Jesus, no turning back from discipleship. Do not share in what's going to happen to people who walk away from God. Don't share in that. No turning back from the way. No turning back from the way. And now Peter is going to go on in verse 22 to talk about this with brutal reality. He says, what the true proverb says has happened to them, has happened to these false teachers who turned from Jesus, who turned from the way and have returned to their other way of life. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the sow after washing herself returns to wallow in the mire. No turning back from the way. No turning back to the mire. I thought that would be better to remember than no turning back to the vomit. No turning back to the mire. Now, in Peter's day and in, throughout the ancient world, dogs and pigs were considered the most disgusting creatures of the ancient world. Now, Peter is not thinking of my 
miniature schnauzer Bailey or of our wonderful dogs we have trained as service animals and shepherd sheep and those things. Peter is thinking of the dogs that are roaming the area in the ancient Near East and indeed throughout the ancient world. They're scavengers. They're vicious. They're dangerous. They'll eat whatever they can find. And one of the unfortunate habits of dogs (laughs) is they return and they eat their own vomit. They smell it, they go back to it. Vivid picture. That's what Peter says. Those who turn back from Jesus, those who turn back from the way, who've gone back into those ways of life, they're eating their own vomit. They've returned. The second half of the proverb is like that. Pigs, again, universally known throughout that part of the ancient world as the most disgusting of creatures. Now again, the pot-belly pig is not in mind here. They saw, they realized that pigs will eat anything. They saw and they realized that they wallow. You wash off a pig, it's going right back and wallow in that mire. So he says, you wash off the pig, it goes right back. Mire is kind of an interesting word. It's a deep, thick mud. It's easy to get stuck in mire. No turning back to the mire. So Peter uses this proverb to describe what it's like when someone walks away from Jesus, walks away from the way of righteousness, and goes back wholeheartedly to the defilements. He uses two word pictures. One is vomit. And one is filth, mire, get stuck in it. Now, turning back is a danger that has shown up in the Bible before. As you remember, having been freed from slavery, the children of Israel, when they were faced with obstacles in the wilderness, even though they had seen all that God had done to deliver them, decide they want to go back to Egypt. Why? The food supply is secure. They were warned, don't go back. No turning back. And as I mentioned earlier, Jesus gives a hard teaching. And as it said, after that, many of his disciples no longer followed him. They turned back. In this instance, we see that they turn back because they want the pleasures. They want the self-indulgence. They want the easier way of life that fits in with the culture of that day. They want to feel good. And they don't care anymore if it doesn't agree with God's holy command. They've rationalized things. This is an advancement. Now we're really free. Why? They want to indulge self. And so they indulge themselves 
They return to self-indulgence, sexual immorality, the feel-good sins that make it easy to live in the pagan culture, but it's most dangerous because they're trying to combine it with Christianity, with faith in God and Jesus. A frightening, more frightening component than if it had just been what they were doing before. Long ago, there was a man who came to Jim and me and was wanting to be freed. He had a tormented life. He was a believer, as far as we knew. He was, at this point in our ministry, he was definitely above our grade level, our pay level. And so we took this man to some people we knew who were experts, really able to help people get free from these things. And this man and woman that we took them to, they had been working with people for more than a decade, maybe even 20 years at that point. We made very little headway with this person. Later on, this man would say to me, you know, of all the people we have worked with in these years, we never had such a difficult time trying to get someone free than we did with this person. This was confusing. This was hard. So we went back and we prayed, Lord, why is this one not free? And the Lord answered us. He has a feel-good sin and he wants to keep it. He has a feel-good sin, and he wants to keep it. No turning back to the mire. No turning back from the way of Jesus, from Jesus, from the way of discipleship. No turning back, going back in the mire. No turning back. More than 100 years ago, there was a a group, a a tribe in northern India that uh, was a particularly warlike and aggressive group. Some people came to them to tell them the good news about a life of love and peace in Jesus. They were not interested. However, there was one man who was, and he gave his life to Christ. His wife gave her life to Christ. His two children gave their lives to Christ. And suddenly this new way of life became very attractive to some of the people who were in this people group. Well, the leader of the group was very upset. This was not to be, and he was going to stop it. So he, he took the man, his wife, and his two children, and he lined them up in front of archers. And he said, if you don't turn away from this, from what you are following, I'm going to kill your children. The man would not renounce his faith, and he killed the children. The children were killed. The arrows were now turned on his wife. He said, if you do not turn from following Jesus, I'm going to kill your wife. The man would not turn, and his wife was killed by arrows. Finally, the leader of the group said, you can save your own life now. Get away from following this man, Jesus. The man answered with these words, the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. 
When the leader of the group heard these words, he unleashed the arrows and killed the man. But it had an effect on the leader. He said, how could this man, Jesus, who lived so far away and so long ago, have such a power over this man? And the leader said, I too belong to Jesus Christ. And he and the whole tribe became followers of Jesus Christ. And this is the basis, they believe, of the song, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Let's pray. Lord, we live in a, a time and a place where the temptations are high to turn back to a way of life we've left, to compromise, to mix with Christianity things that ought not to be. Lord, you are merciful and you are kind. And anyone who really wants to be free, you will free. And so if there is anyone here today who knows Jesus and is caught in a lifestyle that in actions, in self-indulgence, you can tell the Lord you want to be free now and he'll take you on a healing path. No turning back to the mire. So Lord, you see you see these things that are not holy, that are not of you, that you don't want. We don't want to be back in the muck and the mire. It is for freedom Christ has set us free. And so wash us, Lord, clean us, set us on the healing path of wholeness. No turning back. And Lord, many of us, who are hearing my voice today perhaps don't know you at all. And if you are one of those people, agree with God and say this, so that you might have real life, eternal life, freedom in Christ. Lord, I turn from going my own way. I don't want to be living in the muck and the mire. I believe, Jesus, that you died on a cross for my sin. Forgive me my sin. I turn to you. Jesus, your death and resurrection has made a way for me to walk with you and with God. Come into my life, wash me, Make me new. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, my Lord. For those of us who are walking with the Lord, it's an encouragement. No turning back. Lord, we just affirm that though we are bombarded by thoughts from all over, from ideas, from philosophies, from temptations to go and do things that are not of you, that are not life and light, 
that are not love, but are self. We don't want any of that, Lord. And so we ask you to fill us with your encouragement. Wash us clean of any discouragement. We take our hand and we place it in yours, Jesus. We commit afresh to you today. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. If you were moved by today's message, that was the Holy Spirit wooing you to himself. God created the entire universe so that he could be in relationship with us, so that he could be in relationship with you. His son came to the earth. Though he was completely without sin, he died the death of a sinner, took all of our sins upon himself, and was resurrected so that we could have eternal life. All we need to do is accept what he did for us. You can find out more at westchesterchapel.org forward slash salvation. But why not pray with me right now? Lord Jesus, thank you for suffering and dying for me. Thank you that your death atoned for everything that I've done to separate me from you. I pray that you would forgive me of my sins, wash me clean, and Holy Spirit, come into my life and empower me to live for you. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, we'd love to know about it. Please send an email to info at westchesterchapel.org. Now, our website is under construction right now, so these links may or may not work. But if you go to westchesterchapel.blogspot.com, in the right-hand column, you'll see an article on salvation and a way to get in touch there. If you live in or near Westchester County, we hope you'll join us. Find out when we're meeting at westchesterchapel.org. Again, that website may be under construction, but be patient with us. Also, if you're outside of the area, you can join us on Zoom, and that info will be there as well. But we do encourage you to get plugged into a local body of Christ-centered, Bible-believing Christians. Lord bless you.